Now, most of us have probably heard of Christmas in July, right? Christmas in July. How many of y'all heard that? I don't know if that's a southern thing. It's not many. Okay, I figured that a lot of people. Well, this is not Christmas in July. This is Easter in February. And uh, those of you that, that have been worshiping with us for quite some time, you will know why this is an Easter-themed message. We have been making our way through the book of Mark, this, uh, the series title, if you will, is Walking with Jesus. Pastor Jared started us on that journey back in the fall of last year. We took a little pause for the Christmas season, started back up in Mark in January, and we're going to finish Mark up today. So we are going to be in Mark 16 today. Mark 16, we'll be talking about the reality of the resurrection, the reality of the resurrection. But as we continue with the introduction here this morning, uh, people often seek God in many places, in many ways, and many different circumstances. Through a pursuit of spirituality, through a pursuit of religion, whatever the case may be, all over this world, there is one simple truth that I proclaim to you this day. God can only be found in the person of Jesus Christ. Let me say that again, and I want you to say amen again, because this is the crux of Christianity. God can only be found in the person of Jesus Christ. So whether it be on Easter or whether it be today, every day is what Christianity is all about, and that is a risen Savior. His birth, his life, and his death, the death specifically that we talked about last week on the cross, all culminated in the resurrection. All of those things were necessary, but it is certainly the reality of the resurrection. That is the apex of what we believe. That is the core doctrine of who we are as followers of Jesus Christ. Simply put, it gives us victory over death. Would you bow with me in prayer, please? Almighty and gracious God, what a wonderful opportunity we have to come together as brothers and sisters in Christ to proclaim you, to worship you, to glorify you, God. Lord, you have blessed us in so many different ways, it is unimaginable. And oftentimes, it feels like the only thing that we can do in return is to say thank you. But God, we can also say thank you, not just with our words, but with our actions. By coming together and worshiping you this day, we offer the sacrifice of praise unto you. And we pray this in the blessed name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Again, the reality of the resurrection. The reality of the resurrection. If you have not already, turn with me to Mark chapter 16, and we're going to read through verses 1 through 8. And I've got five different points for you this morning. The reality of the resurrection. Now when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices that they might come and anoint him. Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they said among themselves, who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. 
verse 6. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him as he said to you so. So they went out quickly and fled from the tomb, for they trembled and were amazed. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Verses 1 and 2. The very first point that I would like to make this morning is purpose. Purpose. Now, as we exegete these first couple of verses here, one of the first things that we run across is when the Sabbath was passed, there in verse 1, and then in verse 2, it talks about the first day of the week. So it's very important for us to get the time frame and understanding of why it is that we worship the way we do on Sunday mornings. First and foremost, today is not the Sabbath. Now, I know that may be a little contradictory for some people, but today is not the Sabbath. The Sabbath is, always has been, according to Jewish tradition and our Jewish roots from Christianity, is sundown, sundown Friday evening to sundown Saturday evening. So, that we see here that this happened after the Sabbath. And in verse 2, again, it tells us the first day of the week. Sunday is what we know from the New Testament now simply as the Lord's Day. So we worship on the Lord's Day. We don't worship on the Sabbath, according to, again, Jewish tradition and Jewish law and what we find in our Christian roots. So that's important for us to know and understand what it means, the differences between the Sabbath and the Lord's Day. It also goes on to identify some of the women that were gathered. And also, and not only coming to you from Mark 16's account, but this story, this event, uh, the, the, the rising of our Savior is found in all four of the Gospels. And not all four Gospels identify everybody at every single point in time. So, Looking at the entirety of the gospel messages, we do see that Mary Magdalene is here. This is the one that was healed by seven demons. Excuse me, healed from seven demons. We also know that there is Mary. This Mary is the mother of James. James the Lesser, also known as the son of Alphaeus, who was one of the twelve disciples. We also know that there's another lady identified here by the name of Salome. She was the mother of James and John who were also disciples, the sons of Zebedee. And looking at other books, we also know that there was a lady there by the name of Joanna, who was the wife of Herod Stored. She was also healed by Jesus. And there were some other unnamed women there as well. So it's important for us to note as we go through here, it is women are the first people that Jesus chose to announce his resurrection too. And I think that is really, really significant. But why did these women come this morning? What was the purpose in them coming to the tomb? It tells us there that they came to anoint him with spices. Now we know, again, from other gospel accounts that when Jesus was crucified and taken down off of the cross, there were some spices that he were anointed with before he was placed into the tomb and that the tomb was sealed. However, it obviously was not enough. 
Uh, they wanted to do more. They wanted to recognize. They wanted to honor him more than what was already done when they first buried him. So they were coming with purpose to anoint him even in death. So you can imagine some of the feelings, some of the emotions that these women are having up to this point in time. Loneliness, grief, loss, sadness, and despair. They had not only lost a teacher, they had not only lost a friend, they had lost their Messiah. The one that they thought was going to do great and miraculous things. The ones that they thought were going to bring down the Roman government there in Jerusalem. And it still had not happened the way that they wanted it to. Maybe they had even asked simply, why God? Why God have you allowed something like this to happen? And I think that speaks to us as well. When things are going wrong in our lives or when they have gone wrong in our lives, we often feel those same types of emotions, loneliness, grief, sadness. And sometimes we can even ask ourselves, why God? Why did we allow something? Why did you, God, allow something like that to happen? But it can never get in the way of the purpose that we in the church have this day, which I will go on and talk about here in just a few moments. So that's the first point, is our purpose. And we see that in verses 1 and 2. The second thing that I want to bring up here in verses 3 and 4 is a predicament. A predicament. As you look down at the scriptures there, you can see there in verse 3 that as they were walking, they began talking with each other, and they began to wonder to themselves, uh-oh, maybe we forgot about a big piece of what we were coming to do. This, the tomb has been sealed up by a massive rock. There could be maybe a half dozen women or so, we don't really know, but just those six bodies were not going to be able to roll back the stone by themselves. And again, it was a very, very large uh, stone out in front of the tomb. Now, the tomb itself, again, just to keep us educated in what's going on in the life of the Scriptures here, was most likely hewn out of a limestone uh, mountain side. They had hewn this out. No one had ever been placed into this grave before. And when they laid Jesus in there uh, on the day of his crucifixion, they also put some Roman soldiers out there. Mark's account does not mention anything about those Roman soldiers. But again, looking at the other Gospels, we do know that those Romans, in essence, were sleeping. God had forced them to pass out. That way they would be unbeknownst to what was going on in front of them. The stone, to begin with, we're also trying to figure out why was there a stone there in the first place? Why was there this big stone there? And again, this was something that is normal as far as Jewish burials were concerned, and quite honestly, any burials in that day and time in that area of the world. A couple of things to keep in mind was, number one, is to keep uh, the, the older out uh, for, from seeping out. They would seal this thing up. They also did not want animals to go in and scavenge the bodies. So they were very careful about sealing these tombs up. It was rolled away, as many of us have probably heard, not to let Jesus out, but to let others in. The tomb, that big stone, was rolled away not to let Jesus out, 
because he could have just as easily walked through that thing. But the stone was rolled away for these people to see the empty tomb. There in verse 4, the stone, we notice, has already been rolled away at this particular point in time. And now they maybe begin to wonder what was going on, what had happened in this particular situation. Was it the Roman soldiers that had moved this thing away? Was it the Sanhedrin? Was it grave robbers or somebody along those lines? All they know at this particular point in time, the stone was rolled away. And then guess what? They discovered that empty tomb. So now we have a second predicament. Not only was the stone the first predicament, now we have an empty tomb as well. For many of us today, Jesus is still missing in our lives. It is our job as the church to help us introduce him to people who do not know him. And that is a huge emphasis here at Calvary of the Hills Baptist Church, is the mission's emphasis that we want to place upon reaching the people in our neighborhoods, in our communities, and let them know the good news of Jesus Christ. It can also sometimes feel like a predicament for us, because just like the ladies, we might get scared. We might be scared of engaging in some sort of spiritual conversation with people that we don't hardly know. We might be scared of engaging in a spiritual conversation with people that we work with or with family members. That fear cannot be ignored, but it must be overcome. We have the opportunity to let other people know about a risen Savior. God has chosen you and I to be that beautiful vessel that can let other people know about His risen Son. So we've talked about the purpose. We've talked about the predicament. And then the third thing that I want us to see here is the panic. The panic that we see in verses 5 and 6. Verse 5, we know that they saw an angel. There's only one listed here in the book of Mark, but we know that there was at least two according to other gospel accounts. We even know from John's account that immediately after this that, that uh, Jesus asked Mary Magdalene why she was crying. So Jesus was there after this particular event. And in, in John's account, her reply, because she did not know it was Jesus at this particular point in time, had told this man, whom she thought was the gardener, they have taken my Lord, and I do not know where he is. You can hear the alarm that is going on in her voice. You can feel the panic that she was experiencing at this particular point in time. And many people today, quite honestly, panic Sometimes, how many of you have ever heard, oh, I can't go to church, I'm going to burst into flames? Yeah, you, some of you guys probably even said that yourself. Uh, simply put, many people do despair in looking for God today. Maybe they think to themselves that they're not good enough. Maybe they're too worried about life. Maybe they don't think they have enough money, like that's got anything to do at all with Christianity. Maybe they're just overwhelmed with life. Maybe they have an extreme amount of guilt because of something that they have done in the past. But brothers and sisters, let me tell you, there is no reason for people to panic. Simply put, because there is nothing that you nor I or even all of us collectively could do to earn our way into heaven. Hear me now, and I want an amen after this. 
There is no works salvation. If you do not understand that, it simply means this. You cannot be good enough. You cannot do good enough things. You cannot live out the greatest life you could ever live and still make it into heaven counting on yourself. It is about Jesus. It is about what He did on the cross, and it is about His resurrection and the reality that that presents for us this day. Only, only in Christianity does God become man, die for His people, and is raised from the dead on our behalf. In verse 6 there, the angel supplied a divine explanation to what had transpired. The problem was, Mary and the other ladies simply did not fully understand the empty tomb. They fully did not understand the reality of the resurrection that had taken place. It is the good news. Jesus is alive. He is risen. He has been resurrected. And you're not going to find Jesus among the dead because he was certainly more than just some historical figure. He is greater than Abraham and Moses. He's obviously greater than Muhammad. Buddha and Confucius have nothing in comparison with him because they are all still dead and in a tomb somewhere. People look in lots of places for God, and they sometimes panic because they cannot find him. Why? Because they do not understand the reality of the resurrection. As I'd mentioned before, only found in the person of Christ. That is where we get our salvation at. He can live in our lives spiritually. We have the promise of the Holy Spirit that will come and reside with us. And what a beautiful, beautiful promise that is. Moving on now to the fourth point. Something I mentioned a little bit before is proclaim. Proclaim, and we see that there in verse 7. Verse 7. Let me read that to you again. It says, But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him as he had said to you. The angel said, Hey, go tell the disciples what you have seen this morning. Go tell them that the Savior is risen. And, oh, by the way, you're going to find him in Galilee. Hurry up, go do this now because he's already going to meet you there. Now, we also see that Peter was a little bit singled out right there. And we can be thinking to ourselves as, okay, why was Peter singled out? Was it to, to make a point? Absolutely. Otherwise, he would not have been singled out. But think about the things that Peter had done just a few days before. On the night of his crucifixion, Peter denied knowing Christ on three separate occasions. Now, Jesus is off the cross, and he's in a grave. The angels are telling the ladies, go tell the disciples, and specifically Peter. Jesus, the angels, all wanted Peter to know that, brother, you're forgiven. You're still counted as one of the disciples. And I think that is why Peter is pointed out there, because you can imagine the amount of grief that this man is going to go through, has been going through, when they announce to him that the Savior has been risen. 
And many times in our lives, we may have been looking back about something in the past about the guiltiness, again, that we have done. But brothers and sisters, it can still be counted that God wants us as one of his children, just like Peter. So why was it that the the women now or the disciples later just didn't immediately go and do what the angel said, and that was to proclaim that Jesus had been uh, risen from the dead? Simply this, think about the things that they had witnessed over the past few days. They had seen Jesus hanging up on a cross. They know that he had been badly beaten before he was even there. They had seen what the Roman soldiers had done to him. They had heard the statements that Jesus had said. They had saw him die themselves. And at the very end, they saw a Roman soldier spear our Lord and Savior. They simply did not understand the reality of the resurrection. Their faith was challenged beyond what we could imagine nowadays. We've got 2,000 plus years of church history. It's something that we can accept probably a whole lot easier than what they could accept at the time. And I think a lot of this for the reasoning simply has to go with how can we believe that which we cannot prove? How can we believe that which we cannot prove? People talk about, well, prove to me that God exists. Or prove to me that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. If we could prove any of that, then would there be a place for faith? There would be no need for faith. If we could prove God, if we could prove the resurrection happened, and all those things, I think all of us would agree, absolutely, positively happened. There's no question about that. But when we engage other people in conversation, when we start talking about Jesus and what he has done in our lives, and people start putting up all those little roadblocks, well, prove to me that Jesus exists. Again, this is where faith comes into play. Because if we proved that God existed, if we proved that Jesus was raised from the dead, then faith has no place in our spirituality. Faith would have no place in us as being disciples of Christ. And that is a huge part of who we are as brothers and sisters in Christ. There is a hope. There is a blessed hope out there. And we get to spread that good news when we come into contact with other people. Because Jesus rose, we have certainly we have certainty that our sins are forgiven and the grave has been conquered. Jesus' resurrection means in Him and only Him, we also have the resurrection. Amen? There's going to be a resurrection that the church gets granted into the future. That's what's going to get us into heaven, that we ourselves will be resurrected from the dead, if we're lucky enough to be dead, or at some point in time in that twinkling of an eye to be called up to heaven at God's appointed time. We have to have faith in the reality of the resurrection. The angel told them to go and proclaim to the disciples what they saw. In the same manner, we are to proclaim the reality of the resurrection. We are to share God's love with the people around us. Moving in 
to our fifth and final point that we see there in verse 8. And it is a problem. A problem. The angel told them to go and tell. But the verse tells us what? That they were still afraid. It touches on what I had spoke about just a little bit earlier and the fear that comes along with our witness to other people. It's not what they forgot what he had taught them. It is simply that they didn't have a proper understanding. Again, the resurrection and its reality was something that was an absolute foreign concept unto them. Now, here's the good part. Later on, we do know from reading the rest of Mark chapter 8 that they did go back and tell the disciples. And then even some of the disciples came to the tomb to see that it was empty as well. But the problem was is they did not immediately do what they had been told. Even the disciples did not believe. First thinking that this quote-unquote good news that the women were telling them was nothing but a much bunch of nonsense. Because even the disciples of Jesus himself did not understand the reality of the resurrection. Do we have this problem also? Absolutely. We have the mandate to go out and to witness to the world. But we also have this fear that overcomes our being sometimes. We have a fear sharing our faith. We have a fear of talking about the great, wonderful, and good things that Jesus has done for us. And we want to go out and we want to tell people, but sometimes we just seize up because we don't know how to do it. Brothers and sisters, in some way, we have to overcome those fears in our life. And for each and every one of us, it's a little bit differently. Me, I've never really had much of a problem going out and talking to people, as you can imagine. I, I like to talk. I was born talking. I came out of the, the womb. Mom, what are you doing? Hey, it's really bright out here and everything. What's going on? I've never had a problem talking with people. Other folks, though, are much more on the bashful side of things, and that's okay. That's okay. Wherever you're at in your life, whether it be an introvert or an extrovert, a type A or a type B, whatever the case is, God wants us to witness to those that are around us. And we have to figure out how to overcome those fears in our life. Sometimes it can be as something as simple as taking a witness training class. And that's going to be something that we do here in the church into the future, is teaching people how to share their faith, teaching people how to share their testimony and let other people know what that testimony means to them and how others can share that experience as well. Nobody can take away your testimony about Jesus. That's yours. And they can deny it if they want. They can shun you. They can shut the door in your face. But that's okay. Because we have the responsibility to go out and tell. We are not responsible for other people's responses. As we get ready to close out things here this morning, we need to remember that faith that we talked about earlier is going to be a decision that every one of us have made in the past or is going to have to make in the future to include this day. When we talk about knowing Jesus as our Lord and Savior, it is simply these things. To repent of our sins, to believe in a risen Lord, 
and to commit our lives to Christ. Those are some of the essentials that we have got to have in our lives as Christian brothers and sisters. Believing and putting our trust in means a commitment. We must make that decision to follow Christ. And it's my encouragement to you today. And if you have never come to that point in time in your life where you have made a decision to follow Jesus, let today be that day. Let us be comforted in knowing that God raised Jesus from the dead is the exact same God who will raise all of us from the dead who are in Christ. Let me close with one other scripture. This is from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 2 through 4. 1 Corinthians 15, 2 through 4. The Bible tells us this, By this gospel you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures.